Good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. In this ever-evolving COVID-19 reality, the landscape of what we're to expect in the coming near future is ever-shifting. Across our nation are preparations by the medical community and systems to brace for a surge yet to be seen in Canada, but has been observed in Asia and Europe, and we're only talking about the first wave of the virus. Alarmingly, Dr. Andrew Morris, infectious disease specialist of Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, said on Thursday that the medical community is on edge. I don't blame them. There are frontline workers battling an enemy we know very little about. A vaccine is being developed by a wide variety of research teams worldwide to battle the virus, but yet it is still 12 to 18 months away from mainstream use. Dr. Morris says that the situation feels like the Viking ships are on their way. We don't know how many ships there are. We know that when they arrive, they're going to pillage and destroy. We don't know how much we're going to be able to fend them off. We're just hoping they're just sending one ship, and we've got enough people to battle them. Now, when we have our top medical minds sounding the alarm like that, one of our first reactions may be to fight or flee, but I was wisely reminded by our sister Karen Janes that there are ways we need to actually be during this prolonged time of uncertainty. Number one, recognize that we're going to be distracted. It's going to be hard to concentrate because of how we're being bombarded by news and media about the real danger that COVID-19 presents us. Being distracted is normal. So, let's understand that it is going to happen. Number two, let's take regular breaks. Many of us are working from home. Taking regular breaks are important in order to maintain good concentration for the tasks at hand. However, maybe we should also take breaks in a broader sense and limit our news consumption to once or twice a day instead of it at an uninterrupted stream the way digital media allows us. Now I'm speaking to myself here. Number three, let's name what we're feeling. It's okay to recognize that we're going through worry, anxiety, anger, and fear. Let's not ignore, rather. Let's recognize what is going on in our minds and in our hearts. Number four, let's pay attention to what we're thinking of. It's easy to get stuck in thinking patterns. Let's be mindfully aware of what is going on around us and in us, but let's not stay there for too long. Let's take time to think of things that honor God and remind ourselves of who is really in control. And number five, let's give ourselves some predictability in an unpredictable situation. Let's write out our priorities and goals. And the early church reminded themselves of their heroes of faith who also lived in very uncertain times. So let's do the same. Let's remind ourselves of our heroes of faith. And it's in that vein I want us to pray as we open up the scriptures together this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word that not only reminds us of how people have remained faithful to you, but also how you have remained faithful to them and now to us. In the name of the one who saves, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we live in this COVID-19 reality, let's focus on the words of Jesus Christ from the Gospel of John. Today's passage of scripture is John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. 
Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. I've really begun to enjoy gardening. I'm no expert like my mom, mind you, but I really enjoy taking the time to aerate and mow the lawn, to prune the bushes and putting things in the ground and watching them grow. One of the things I really like about our garden is that we have an old rose bush growing up behind a cedar in our front yard right by our front window. The former owner used to stop every now and then, and she used to live in Royal Arch, and she really appreciated the fact that we haven't chopped the rose bush down. Now, I've discovered that if we leave the rose bush on its own, it begins to grow in on itself. And as it does so, the roses that are produced are less than lovely. And on the other hand, as I've been learning how to prune the rose bush, I've noticed that although we get less roses, when they do bloom, they are quite spectacular. So we prune the rose bush so that it doesn't waste energy on the branches that are growing inward. Instead, all the energy and nutrients are going toward the developing rosebuds and the flowers on the whole bush. Apparently, taking care of vines is not really all that different. Vines also need to focus their energy on growing good quality fruit or grapes rather than a lot of second-rate ones. Vines need to grow towards the light rather than getting in a tangled mass. Left alone, they would also grow into a mess that would require pruning if it's to see its full capability. So friends, if you haven't yet opened your Bibles to today's passage in John 15 verses 1 to 17, I invite you to do so now. 
The English doesn't quite catch the subtle nuance of what John is trying to communicate here. The word that John uses here for prune, in verse 2, is an interesting choice. It's more like the word for clean or purify in verse 3. And that's why he uses it here. He wants us to link the pruning of the vine with the clean state of the disciples. They have already been pruned, and more is on its way. Jesus has spoken the word to them, calling them to take up their cross and follow him. They have to submit to the pruner's shears, as it were, clipping away other goals and ambitions. They have already borne fruit. They must now expect more pruning, so that they can yet bear even more fruit. Now, isn't that interesting? To be healthy means that there will be more pruning. I wonder if that's something that I personally am experiencing as I seek to be more fully human. I'm looking for healing of relationships within my family. Some of this process seems hard and painful at times, yet I know it is very good and very healthy. I'm also more keenly aware that God is ever-present and with me along the way at this stage in my life. As healthy followers of Jesus, he says that we will expect to face a little pruning, a little cleaning and purifying. The Apostle Paul might call them tests. Theologians call it sanctification, one of these 25-cent words, which just means to grow a little bit more like Jesus. Pruning can be seen as testing, a space where growth can occur. Now, within Jewish tradition, the vine was a picture of Israel. God brought a vine out of Egypt and planted it in the promised land. Take a look with me at Psalm chapter 80. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from a forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine The root of your right hand has planted. The sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. That's Psalm 80, verses 8 to 18. Israel is the vine that God brought out from Egypt. It was ravaged by wild animals and needed protecting and reestablishing. The vineyard of Israel, said Isaiah in chapter 5, has yielded wild grapes instead of proper ones. Other prophets alluded to the same picture. Out here on the west coast, I wonder if it would be like having a blackberry bush growing out of control. Now, go back to verse 1 of today's passage. Jesus is saying that he is the true vine. This can only mean that he is in in himself, the true Israel. He is the one on whom God's purposes are now resting, and his followers are members of God's true people. 
if they belong to him and remain in him. The picture of the vine isn't just a clever gardening illustration. It's actually a declaration of Jesus' identity and God's people's identity as well. This is a declaration of who we are in Jesus. This is who we are as Jesus' followers. And so, therefore, pruning or being made clean, purifying, is also a description of what will happen to us as a result. As Jesus is preparing for the cross, the whole portion of Scripture and discourse opens up a whole new dimension of what Jesus wants to say to his closest friends. He's already spoken of them being in him, as he is in the Father, in verse 20, in chapter 14. Now we see more of what this means. On the one hand, it's a way of speaking of himself as Israel in person, and of his followers as members of God's true people because they belong to him. On the other hand, it's a way of speaking of the intimate relationship with him that they are supposed to enjoy and to cultivate, the same way a gardener cultivates his garden. Take a look at verse 6 with me. If you do not remain in me, what happens to the branches? Branches that try living without being connected to the vine eventually wither and die. They're really good for nothing except cremation, maybe, kindling for the fire. Look at this very vivid imagery here. But branches that remain in the vine and submit to the pruner's shears when necessary live abundantly and will bear much fruit. This is what Jesus holds out to his followers. Testing will result in great things. We will grow fruit and lots of it. Think of the fruit of the Spirit here. Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness, and self-control. So the question for us is, how do we remain in him? What does it look like in everyday life? Both of the meanings come into play, Jesus as Israel in person on one hand, and the need for us to cultivate a vibrant relationship with Jesus on the other hand. How do we remain in him? Well, friends, we are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the new Israel. That means we must remain in community that knows and loves Jesus and celebrates him as its Lord. There is no such thing as a solitary Christ follower. We can't go it alone. This is why we are commanded to love each other at the close of today's passage. Being a healthy body is not easy. We're called to love one another. And this is why we engage in prayer, not just to communicate with our God, but we need to pray for one another. That means actively listening to God and to each other. Each other, Loving one another includes practicing hospitality, and not just with a handshake on Sunday mornings. It means inviting one in, into our church, but also into our homes, and even more deeply, into our lives. Loving one another includes living justly. One example is it just means trying to make physical accessibility a possibility on our church campus. We have a stair track and we eat each we help each other use it. It's a symbol of loving one another. 
Currently, our social or physical distancing is another way we're called to love one another these days, as counterintuitive as it is. But how else do we need to love one another? How else can we pray and listen and practice hospitality and live out justice? Some of us need more grace at times than others. Jesus has acted out and will act out the greatest thing that love can ever do. Look at verse 11. He has come to make us more human, not less. He has come to bring us freedom and joy, not slavery and less than humanness. Go to verse 16 with me. He has come so that we can bear fruit that will last, whether in terms of a single life change because we loved somebody as Jesus loved us, or in terms of a single decision that we had to take, a single task we had to perform or do, through which, though we couldn't see it at the time, the world became a different and better place. Love makes both the one loving and the beloved one, the one receiving the love, more truly human. And so we are to love one another. But we also must remain as people of prayer and worship in our own intimate, private lives. We must make sure to be in touch with Jesus, knowing him and being known by him. Go all the way back up to verse 7. Verse 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Once again, the most extraordinary promises about prayer go with the sharpest of warnings in verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. Now, although it always hurts, my friends, we must be ready for the growing pains of faith, being pruned. God is glorified, and so will we be, by bearing good fruit, and a lot of it. And for that to happen, there will be extra growth that needs cutting away. That, too, is an intimate process. Think about this for just a moment. The gardener is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the pruning shears in his hand. Thanks be to God. He cares for you, and he cares for me. He cares for all of us. Would you pray with me as we close in prayer? Our gracious God, we thank you for reminding us that not only are you the vine which gives us life abundantly, but you are also the gardener who lovingly prunes and cleans and purifies us in order to bear even more fruit. And so, Lord, as we continue to go throughout this week, Help us to see where you are pointing us towards health and growth, even in the painful parts of life. For perhaps you are there, even closer than we realize, hard at work, thinking carefully and lovingly about our future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in this week, this Palm Sunday. And I pray that you will experience God's love and his joy as ever presence in your life this week. Peace to you. This is Pastor Dave. Have a great Sunday.